Cool. Well, have you guys ever sat down and looked at your week? You guys ever sat down and looked at your calendars for the, uh, for the upcoming week? Maybe you do it on Sunday nights. That's when I like to do it. I like to uh, sit there and look at my calendar and figure out what's going to be happening this upcoming week. I don't know if you guys ever sat down and actually, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but counted through how many hours you spend at your job. You guys ever counted that up? You guys ever wanted to count that up? You're like, no, I don't want to. But have you ever looked at how many hours you spend at work? And I think if, if we all sat down and calculated, it'd be probably about half, if not more, than your waking hours are spent at your job. Yeah. Are spent at your job doing the work that you do. On, you know, an average work week, you know, is now 47 hours. Yeah. I would say that the average, that's in the middle. So you imagine there's a lot of people that work way more than that, and very few, I'm gonna say, that work less than that. You know, but um, the idea of a nine to five, 40 hour work week is pretty much dead, right? I love working with the team ministry and I get to work with the, uh, a lot of uh, different team leaders who are a lot of campus students and a lot of young um, professionals and they're getting their first jobs out into you know, uh, career type jobs. And I love when they come back to me and they start complaining about, hey Jeff, I get home at six, I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, welcome to the real world. Nobody gets off at five. It's very seldom, this is your life, you work now. Be prepared to come home a little bit later than you would like. But you know, I think um, all of us feel different about our jobs. You know, some of you may love your jobs, and amen, more power to you. Some of you may hate your jobs. You know, but how do you feel about your work? Now there's a difference between your job and your work. Yeah. Your job is what you do, right? That's perhaps your title or, or, or you know, the tasks that you've been giving. But your work is how you do that task. How you perform at your job. It's more, it's more personal, right? Your work is more a reflection of you. So how do you feel about your work? And today, that's what I want to talk about. And the title of the sermon today is Idle Idol or ideal. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Come on. Now we're going to be picking up, almost done through the book of Colossians 2, on task to jump into Genesis starting in the brand new year. Looking forward to that. And we're going to be looking through Genesis, really looking at how does Jesus play a role throughout the book of Genesis. I'm looking forward uh, to diving into that. And I'm sure as a church, it's nothing that we haven't had that focus before, you know, directly. And uh, I think it's going to be great. Um, but here we are in Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at uh, the instructions for Christian households. And uh, we're going to skip over the wives and husbands and children's part. For now, we're going to put a little pin in it. We're going to pick that up on Tuesday night. But tonight, I mean today, excuse me, let's pick up in verse 22. In verse 22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Uh, in, in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. 
as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. uh, Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you so much for giving us your word, God. Thank you that uh, we can have this um, opportunity every week just to dive into your scriptures, God, and to be able to figure out what is your will. What, what are you trying to communicate to us, God? And I just pray that this morning you allow us just to be able to see that, God, and to be able to walk out of here with, a, uh, with just, um, just an excitement about putting your will in, into um, just action. God, and I love you so much, God. Please speak through me uh, today, God. Put me to the side and allow your spirit to speak through me, God. And I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here, Paul, he brings up the idea of slavery. Now, I know this is a touchy subject in our Western world. But the idea of slavery that Paul is addressing here is very different than what we consider slavery. Very different than the African slave trade that is so that has a deep-rooted and dark history here in the United States. That is not what Paul is talking about. So please, as we talk about this today, try to divorce yourself as much as possible from the idea of what we perceive as slavery. Amen? Because slavery back then was more like a bond servant or perhaps a prisoner of war. And so it was not based on race whatsoever. It wasn't that you were less than and your master was greater than you and therefore you served him without any question. No, it was more that you, as if you worked for them. Perhaps you owed, perhaps you borrowed money from your now master and you weren't able to pay him back. You would work it off. And so the idea of slavery isn't a permanent position. It's not permanent at all. It's something that you would work your way out of. Very, very different from the way that we see slavery. But it's interesting here that Paul, in talking to slaves and masters, doesn't call for freedom. He doesn't call for the slave masters to release all of his slaves, all those that are in debt to him. And likewise, he doesn't tell the slaves, hey, work and fight and revolt for your freedom. He doesn't talk about that at all. That doesn't mean that Paul is endorsing slavery. Let me just say that right off the bat. Although the scriptures have been used throughout history uh, to justify man's evil and man's sin and man trying to uh, position himself above another to put them into slavery. But that's not what Paul is doing here. That is a complete misuse of the scriptures. We've got to try to divorce ourselves, like I said, from that Western thinking. And interestingly enough, it was Christians who led the charge to abolish slavery here in the States. So we got to try to try, you know, and I I know I keep bringing it up. So you're like, okay, Jeff, I'm trying, but you keep bringing it up. Let's just try to, you know, it's more for myself. All right, everybody's with me, okay? And actually in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, you guys don't have to turn there. Jesus, in teaching the disciples how to pray, he says, forgive, let me find it here exactly. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus is teaching others to forgive their debts. And what would that be? That would basically be what Paul's talking about here, a master to his slaves. Jesus is saying, hey, forgive those debts, because guess what? 
You want to be forgiven your debts, don't you? So here we see that Jesus himself is actually preaching against this idea of slavery. Against this idea of being indebted. But I think for the sake of our sermon and for the looking at the text today, we got to be able to look at this idea of slaves and masters as more as employee to manager. Not something that all of us are more familiar with, correct? All of us can relate to. You know, when Paul outlines the way that we're supposed to work, the way that we're supposed to work to our managers, to our bosses, to those that are above us, he says you've got to obey everything. Not just when your eye is looking on you, right? Because it's very easy to obey your boss when he's standing over top of you. Standing, looking over your shoulder, hey, I want you to do that. You're going to say yes and type away, right? I remember, uh, I mean, this is so, so true, right? When your boss is not around, you tend to feel a little bit more relaxed, right? I used to love it when my bosses go on, you know, um, on like their vacations. Because it's like work, which is happier. You know, I did the same things. But I always just felt better because I'm like, okay, they're not there. I can relax. I can be myself. I'll say, no, you got to work as if, you know, your boss isn't looking at you or is looking at you. It's the same thing because you work for the Lord. It's interesting when I started working in um, um, advertising, one of my guys was training me actually literally said, I want you to carry around papers in your hand as you walk around the office. And we, we worked in this big um, uh, a skyscraper. So it was like, you know, a really big office on a big, big loop. And I had to move around quite a bit. It's like, hold these papers in your hands and always walk fast. And I was like, what? I was like, are you serious? He's like, yes. That way, if you know, the um, CEO sees you, he thinks that you are working hard and you have somewhere to go. And I was like, all right, I guess that makes sense. But I'm like, this is literally, you're training me to do this, to be deceitful. Um, but amen. I did it. Um, most of the time, I really did have somewhere to go, though. So Amen. But Paul's saying, don't just do enough to get by, but work with sincerity of heart. This idea of working with sincerity and heart is working hard, but also with a clear, single-minded focus on the task that you've been given. So Paul said, hey, don't worry if your boss is looking at you or not. Work hard. Work hard because you work for the Lord. And we do a solid job at work, don't we? Try to. Even when no one is looking. Why? Because we work for the Lord. You know, but honestly, this isn't really earth shattering, is it? This, this, these concepts are taught. You've probably sat in different seminars or lectures at your company or perhaps that you've even seen, you know, um, infomercials on TV about how to be a good worker. That's, this is pretty much it. This isn't earth shattering. It's not like blowing you back in the chair like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Paul is writing this. You know, most of the non-Christian world um, accepts these principles. That we need to work hard when no one is looking. And we need to be focused on our work. But Paul, there's something more that he wants us to see here. Amen. There's something more. There's something bigger. And we're going to kind of go through a little trip through the Bible and figure this one out. You guys with me this morning? All right, let's go very, to the very, very beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, this idea of work from the very beginning. Genesis 
All right, in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, at this point in time, God had created most of the things on earth, right? And now he had turned his attention to man. And we're going to, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil everything, so we're going to be able to read this, guess what, in January. <laughs> so in verse 27, so just in case you guys don't know what happens, I'll let, I'll let you guys worry about that one later. Verse 27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them we'll stop right there god created you in his image and what was god doing before this creating what was he doing before this he's putting into order everything in the world as he created it and why did he create it to serve you And why would he do that? Because he's a selfless father. And guess what? You were created in that same image. You were created to work. You were created to put things in order. You were created to serve and to be selfless. That's who you are. You were created in God's image. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, let's read verse 15. And we'll actually get to see this. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And we'll stop right there. And you know that later on, he, God instructs Adam to actually name the animals. But here we see that God is setting Adam up and saying, this is what I have created you to do in my image. It's to take care of the garden, to work, to work for me. There's two, he has two different types of work. He has um, intellectual work, which is thinking about these animal names, trying to figure out how am I going to take care of them. But he also has labor work. You actually got to do some real work here, Adam. So he sets up this idea that this is the same thing for us. We have been created to work. Because we have been built and made in God's own image. We do have a desire to work. A desire to create. A desire to put things in order. To be servants and selfless. It's even... um, You know, when you... I think all of us understand this principle very well when you think about when you get done accomplishing a task. Right? And perhaps it's when you mow the lawn. Right? And you mowed that lawn with the super straight lines. And you can see it where it's like a little darker green and a little lighter green. And they just, you know, juxt- um, juxtapose to each other right there. And you stand back and you look at it and you're just like, That's, that is my lawn. That's amazing. I did that. I cut that grass that God grew and made for me to feel good about in this moment. Right? Or maybe it's when you get done doing the dishes after there's a whole huge stack of dishes and you look back and you're like, it's done. It's empty for the next 20 minutes. Right? You're just like, there's a sense of satisfaction. Right? Because God, guess what? Created you to put things in order and created you to work. Now, I like to build things. And um, recently, I promised my kids that I would build them this tree house slash tree fort. That's why I call it tree fort. You know, so this, is a, this is a tree for it, son. But I, I put a lot of energy and work into this thing. And there's still some things that need to happen and get fixed. The ladder's temporary, putting up a, um, a rope uh, ladder there. And there's a really cool trap door. I put climbing rocks on the tree 
So you climb the tree, they're the same color as the tree. And so, I mean, it's like a secret passage that the boys are fired up about. But anyways, you know, stepping back and looking at this and being like, there's a sense of satisfaction. When you get done making a project like that, when you get done creating, we all feel good inside, don't we? We all feel like, man, I accomplished something. Interestingly enough, we look at what God does on the seventh day, right? What does he do? He rests. But you know what I think he does as well? He steps back and enjoys his creation. He says, man, I made this. That's man. Look at Adam down there working. He's doing great hanging out with all the animals. He's not eating them yet. We do that later. You know what I mean? It's just like, man, God had to step back and say, man, I formed that earth. I put everything in order. He had a moment to step back and to look at what he had done. I think also we, we can tell that we've been built to work, built to create when you don't have a job. When you're, when you're wanting a job, right? And you just, you just kind of feel like depressed, don't you? You're like, man, I, I need to be doing something. I can't just be sitting around all day. Because we are built to work. You know, work itself, interestingly enough, if you... Go ahead and read chapter 3 about the fall of man. You see that, what is the curse that he gives? You're going to work. Yeah. Right? Work is not the curse, though. We have been cursed as man, based on our sin. The land has been cursed, that we are going to have to work hard for that. But work was around before sin. Work itself is holy. We are unholy. We are the ones who mess it up. We're the ones who make it something that it isn't. But all work, when you think about it, we either create, put things into order, serve, or to be selfless. Whether you're a doctor or whether you're mopping floors. And I used to mop floors at um, Food Line for years. And I loved it, to be honest. That's before we had like the mop machines. I used to hand mop the whole store. And I used to just, it's a great sense of accomplishment. I would take my sweet time making sure that floor was shiny. But whatever you're doing, whether you're a mom and you're putting into order your home every day, if you're a stay-at-home mom, that is your work. Maybe you're a student and you're studying, you're putting forth the effort to learn how to work, but also you're creating and doing your different uh, papers or projects or so on and so forth. But you were, we are, all created in God's image to work. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Oh man, I got to speed this up. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 17, it says, Paul writes, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in which in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. We'll stop right there. You know, here Paul is addressing again, slavery. He's addressing slaves and he's and he's letting them know, hey, guess what? God has assigned you that position in life. And this word assigned that he used is actually the the same word that's used for someone who's called to be a priest. Or someone who's called to be a prophet. Or someone who's called to be the king over Israel. This is God himself ordaining you. Saying, hey, I have chosen you to be in your position. God has chosen you in your position right now. 
where you work. Where you work, and another way to say it, is that it's holy. This is your lot in life. This is what God has given you and said, Hey, I have made you my image, and I have assigned you a position to work. This is what you're supposed to do. It changes the way we start viewing our jobs and what, and what we do. It's not divorced of Christianity. Yeah. Too often, you know, we'll preach and amen. I, I, you know, I'm most of the time the guy giving the lesson. And what, what we talk about doesn't apply to our workplaces. Wow. Now, keep, yes, I understand you have to be like Christ at your jobs. That's not what I'm saying. But most of the things that we talk about from the pulpit apply to you outside of work. And somehow we you know, think that, man, God doesn't really care about my job. That God doesn't really care about what I do from nine to five. I just got to be like him during those times. But outside of that, you know, that's kind of separate. What it's saying here is that, no, God has assigned you, ordained you to be in your position. Yeah, that's right. Your work has been handed down like Adam. Just like Adam was called and given a task, you have been called and given a task. Changes the way we view our nine to five. I got to tell you, this is not the way that I have uh, seen my work, whether in the ministry or outside the ministry. This has been something that's kind of challenged the way that I view what I do, how I work, even in building that treehouse. I was because I was getting ready for this sermon. I'm like, this is kind of neat. I'm like fulfilling my role. In God's image, building this treehouse. I'm like, it just adds a different level, a different, um, a different meaning, a different purpose for what we do every day. That it is holy. It is in God's image. Amen? Yeah. I think this is something that we need to teach our kids. Yeah. We need to teach our kids that there's something more in, uh, to what you do every day in school. There's something more to what mom and dad do every day. This is holy work. I think this becomes difficult for us to have this view on work. You know, it's difficult for us that uh, for us to view our work that we have been ordained or because that God has built us in his image. Why? Because culture has been allowed to dominate our thinking. Like I said, most of what we preach on Sundays applies outside of the work. And we allow culture to fill that void to define what our, our attitude towards work. You know, we can have two errors. One is being idle. This is Jim, Jim um, Halpert. You guys watch The Office, right? I'm not going to go into totally into it. But Jim Halpert literally is the definition of somebody who goes to work and can't wait to leave work. This is a classic scene where he's there um, explaining his job and he's like, I'm boring myself explaining it to you. He's a paper salesman in this uh, in the show. But that too often, I think we view our jobs as I just have to work to get money to pay the bills. And therefore, we're idle at work. We're not working as if we're working for the Lord. We don't have the idea that we have been ordained, set aside by God to work in his image. You know, it's the 9 to 5, right? The 5 p.m. hits. You're just watching that clock. And you're like, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to leave to go pick up my life on important things. I got to get out of here. You know, some jobs, I get it. They're difficult. You hate them. I understand. Been in plenty of them. One of my hate, most hated jobs is working at Signs Now. And it was rough. I had bosses that did not know what they were doing. 
It was a small place with just my two bosses and me and one other guy who mildly knew what he was doing. And they would expect me to do everything. And they, don't you know when you like have that boss and they're asking you to do something and they can't even explain it to you because they don't know what they're doing? And you look at them and you're like, seriously? This is the way it's gonna, it's like, it's like gonna be now? Right, it's like, I don't like working here. I can't wait to leave. This place is ridiculous. And I sit there and just get just barely enough done. All right, that was my attitude. I just gotta get enough done to not get fired, to clock out, and to leave. A lot of times I think we can also, what um, contributes to this is that work is just your job. Now we see that our bigger purpose is what happens outside of that office. That we start seeing our work as, you know, it's not that important. It's not that important in our lives. I got bigger things to do, man. I'm a disciple and I got to go study the Bible with somebody right out of here. Amen. I'm all about that. But your work is more than just what you do. It's more than just your nine to five. Amen. I think we can, we start to see these people in the fellowship, the ones that understand that, the ones that, that it, that, that it clicks, that their job is about working for the Lord. Amen. You can notice those. There's an um, individual, Brad, who's in the um, coastal region. He works for the natural gas company. Now, Brad, incredibly, incredibly smart, smart, gifted young man. Um, and, uh, he's a, um, uh, engineer there and his first part of his job when he first got hired was to, um, inspect the different gas lines, the major ones running underneath the, underneath the roads. And so he did that so well that they promoted him. They said, we want to put you in charge of testing, testing the way that we weld. They actually weld the pipes together out on the field. We want you to figure out if we're doing it wrong. All right. And this is a young guy. Yeah. Going in there, given the task, if you're going to tell everybody in your office that they're wrong. Oh, no. And Brad's like, hey, amen, I'm doing this. And he goes in there and he comes to me and he tells me, he's like, everybody hates me at my job. Because I just tell them they're, they, they did this wrong. They have to go back and, you know, redo and dig up all these pipes, so on and so forth. And I'm like, but Brad, that's your job. And he, and he loves it. He loves doing what he's doing because he feels, man, this is what God has called me to do. Amen. He understands that I work for the Lord. I don't work for these people. I don't care what they think. He tries to be nice you know, to them as much as possible. But he understands that he works for someone else. Yeah. I think too many times, you know, as, let me just take a pause here. As Christians, we see the ministry as the ultimate height of working for the Lord. We see the ministry as somehow you work for the Lord, Jeff. I don't. My job nine to five is my job. I pay the bills and I give, you know, my contribution. Then I act like a disciple afterwards. And amen. I'm not saying you don't act like a disciple at work. Let me just say that. Okay. Amen. Just got to point that out. Um, but this is actually a Catholic type of thinking that has kind of ingrained itself. I think sometimes into our minds. Uh, in fact, Martin Luther, uh, during the um, um, Reformation, pointed out that everybody has been ordained. Everybody works in their jobs That's right. for God. That's right. that, your, that your work has got to be more than just sitting there idle. Your work has to be about working for the Lord. You know, your work, whether it be copies, emails, reports, mopping, making pizzas, or cleaning the house, it's not just about your paycheck. 
but that you work for God. Now, who cares who your boss is? You work for God. Amen? Amen. I think the second error is that work can become an idol. You know, this past week, actually, C, um, CNBC uh, had, a, had an article about how to be a self-made millionaire. The secrets to becoming a self-made millionaire. And I was like, oh, I'm interested in this article. Let me click on it. I clicked on it. And literally, the secret was you have to work 95 hours a week. I was like, it's not really a secret there. I mean, if I had two jobs, maybe I'd make, I don't know, more money, right? It's like, this is not revolutionary. This is not, you're just telling me to work more. I think it's so easy for our jobs to become our idol. We just want to work more. We want to make more. We want to be known for what we do. I think it, it, it does. It just sneaks up on you. Uh, it's, it's not like this, right? Indiana Jones, he's getting that idol and it literally is a golden statue that we pray to and we, and we think about this is our job. No, it sneaks up and it slowly starts to take over. It slowly becomes more than just what you do. It becomes who you are. We get our identity by our jobs. So I remember having dinner as a, a fresh out of college, just had started my job at Mundo.com, working there uh, as, you know, advertising. And I remember everybody at this table telling, talking about what they do. Talking about, you know, I do this, or I work for this company, and I do that. And just thinking to myself, like, I can't wait till they get to me, so I can tell them what I do. And they can look at me and they say, wow, Jeff's awesome. He works at an advertising firm. I'm like, that's right. I'm like, thinking to myself, as they're going around the table, I'm like, is this really how I define myself? Is how I have my um, identity is by my job, or is it that I have my identity in God? That's how we can test to see has our job become our idol? Because it was what defines us. It's interesting, we see this exact same thing in the fall of man. After the fall of man, Adam is cursed, the land is cursed. And what happens right after that? He has children. And how do they view work? It's about them. Right? We see that um, his son Cain sees his work is about him. Not about God. And so it becomes sinful. It becomes his idol. And so much to the point that he kills his brother over it. The way that, he, the way that work, that God intended work to be seen, gets twisted. It gets twisted. It becomes this idol. It becomes more because about him and not about God. Your work is about God and not about you. Yeah. It's about bringing glory to him and not glory to yourself. Uh-huh. I think a great idol test is does your job prevent you from doing the will of God? Uh-huh. Does it prevent you from actually following and doing the will of God? Like I said, work was meant to bring glory to God, not glory to you. And we can't allow culture to shape the way we see our work. Either that we become idle and we see it as just a nine to five, just that I have to make this paycheck to pay my bills. And then I go on to bigger and greater things. Or the flip side of that is that it doesn't become an idol. That it becomes who we are as opposed to that we are Made in God's image. And we work hard as if we're working for the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
So what if you saw your work the way that God does? What if you woke up tomorrow, walked into your office, saw your stack of work waiting for you, perhaps on your computer or on your desk, and you saw it the way that God saw it? That you changed your attitude. You took on the attitude that this just isn't your job, but it's something greater. But this is you literally imitating God himself. And that doing what you're doing is what God has set you aside, ordained you to do. Whatever it might be, how would your attitude change towards work this week if you walked in like that? How would your performance, how would your quality of work change if you took on this new attitude that your job, that your work is something bigger? I know you could say, man, Jeff, if you only had my job, then you would understand. If you only had my job and knew what it was like, then you would understand that it's pretty difficult for me to feel that way. I hate my job. I don't want to do this. Maybe that's how you're feeling. I would challenge you, look at, look at Jesus. Jesus was a laborer before he got into the ministry. You tell me that guy didn't have some challenging clients or some challenging jobs. I bet he did it. Talked about the idea that, that uh, Jesus, you know, uh, was tempted in every single way to fulfill all righteousness. Guess what? He's been in your position. And he fulfilled all righteousness for you by staying righteous. You know, our work is not an idol, is not idol or not idol, but is ideal. That is perfect. It's modeled after God. That we work for the creator, not for a check, but for God. And we have Jesus as our example of who to strive after. And lastly, I want to talk about that we have ideal work waiting for us in heaven. In Luke chapter 9, it talks about how we're going to be in charge of cities. In Revelation chapter 21, it says that Eden is going to be restored back to the way it was. And guess what? Who's going to be working in that garden? You. But the only difference is between your work now and your work later on in heaven is that it will go perfectly. There won't be any annoying bosses. You got God. Amen. Who understands you and loves you and cares for you. You won't have any issues with your tools, stripped screws, right? You won't have those issues. You won't be tired. You'll be fulfilled every day doing your work in heaven alongside with all your brothers and sisters. That's what you have, your ideal work waiting for you. And that's why we work now as if we're working for the Lord, because we know that heaven is waiting. We know that paradise is waiting just around the corner to be with our Father and Jesus once again. So my challenge to you, church, is very simple. It's bring this new attitude to your work. That your job isn't just a job or your work isn't just work, but that you are imitating your creator in your ordained work. That's my challenge to you, church, for you to walk into your office and to just, if you got to recite this in your head, amen, you go ahead and do that. But you go this week and you change your attitude towards work and you take on that of which the scriptures and God talks about. I want you to see your job, what you do, your work as more than something than just what you do. But this is bigger. My prayer is that this, this shakes up the way we think about what we do tomorrow morning. That we stand out in our jobs. Not because we do an incredible job, but because we work for the Lord. Amen. Amen. 
And that we see our work in a spiritual light. And it brings glory to God. Amen. Thank you.